athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. You're locked in to the dopest show on radio, Box to Row. I am your host, Donald Ware. Right here each and every week on HR Voices, Sirius XM, Channel 141. And, you know, like I've, I've tried to explain since the top of the year, uh, this show that airs on Sirius XM, Channel 141, we're going to focus on a lot of different things. It's going to be really with respect to this show, less uh, with respect to HBCU sports and more about sports in general and also things that are going on in the world, like for instance, I know, but not necessarily in the world per se, and, and before I even go any further, by the way, in the world, uh, hopefully you've had a chance to go out and vote. We have some primaries that are upcoming in respective states, but it, hopefully your, your primary has already passed, you've gone out and voted. You must go out and vote. Uh, it is something that uh, is super important. And hopefully you've been able to go out and do that. But, you know, as mentioned, we're going to talk about a lot of different things uh, with respect uh, to things that are going on in the world. We're going to talk sports. We're going to talk entertainment. Uh, We're going to talk uh, about celebrities. I know a couple of weeks ago I talked about uh, black newspapers and the viability of black newspapers uh, still in this country, how important they have been in our history uh, and how important they still are, uh, regardless of the fact that the newspaper industry is is very much in decline. Like I'm a person that still likes uh, the newspaper. I subscribe. We're here in, in Raleigh. I subscribe to our uh, to our local newspaper, uh, the Raleigh News and Observer. It's a daily newspaper i subscribe and get the weekend edition which by the way uh even the weekend edition of the news and observer the saturday edition is no more so no longer because of the state of newspapers will you be able to get at least here in raleigh the news and observer on saturday so it's going to it's going to go uh essentially sunday through friday no saturday papers uh anymore and but that's just the state of newspapers but uh, with respect to the viability and the importance uh, of black newspapers, still very much important. Um, I mean, I, I I don't know that you can say that uh, that that the newspapers, the black newspapers, are less important now uh, than they once were. I mean, I think it's just a different time. They are still very relevant, maybe at you know as important now uh, as they were. I mean, certainly. Uh, during the time of Jim Crow and segregation, uh, they were super important because uh, those were the newspapers that told the stories um, about what was really going on 
uh, in the black community to the point uh, that I know a lot of, you know, you talk about the civil rights movement and um, and 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 uh, a lot of the news coverage that surrounded the civil rights movement, particularly the sit ins and the marches. And by the way, of course, you go back to the uh, to the, the the Selma march. As a matter of fact, that first march today, uh, back 55 years ago, March 7th, 1965. And so um, we commemorate that uh, day, as a matter of fact, 55 years ago today. But I mean, you had the coverage of that, but it was really uh, and even before the civil rights movement, it was the black newspapers that told the stories of the various lynchings that happened uh, across America about this so-called race riots, weren't, which weren't really race riots. They were labeled race riots by the mainstream media, if you will. But they weren't really race riots like they were riots that were started um, by uh, by white folks. OK, uh, I mean, you can look at uh, you can look at a, a number of different ones, the ones uh, all of the, the the summer of 1919, which, by the way, I found out more recently, one of the riots that happened in 1919 happened within our state in Wilmington, uh, North Carolina. You know, the story of Wilmington, uh, the Wilmington really has uh, a, a a bad history as it relates to black folks, the only overthrow of a government in the history of the United States happened in 1898 in Wilmington when the government, uh, you know, uh, uh, that was in place at that time that consisted really of white and black leadership uh, was overthrown. Um, the black newspaper uh, at that time uh, was burned to the ground, black businesses, etc. Uh, so so my point is um, black newspapers have told those stories and continue uh, to tell the stories uh, uh, m- more. So we still obviously there's, you know, racism uh, and prejudices uh, are still uh, part of our society. And we still need the black newspapers to tell those stories, but also to be able to tell the stories of some of the great things, uh, which there are many great things that are happening in the black community. So uh, black newspapers still very viable. Uh, I asked you when we uh, I think we talked about this. I think it was like three weeks ago. You know, have you subscribed to a newspaper, a black newspaper in your area? And during the course of this show, I'm going to list um, some black newspapers in respective areas so that if you live in those areas, you should go out and subscribe. I'm not going to tell you the newspaper that I subscribe to here in North Carolina, but I subscribe to uh, a newspaper, a black newspaper here in North Carolina. Also, this subscription rate was $60 a year. Like that's very affordable, you know, because what that does uh, more so than giving that newspaper that $60 at that time uh, or whatever the price may be for the respective newspaper. But it's, it's also one more subscription that that newspaper has. So that newspaper can then go to an advertiser and say, we have X number of subscribers to the newspaper and that's really the importance and that's how we're going to be able to keep black newspapers around um, a lot of you know I talked a lot about uh, a couple of weeks ago when we talked about that uh, about the Chicago Defender which was once a daily uh, newspaper I, I think now maybe an only an online version uh, of that nowadays Chicago obviously is a huge city with a a large black 
population. Uh, but still, I mean, the, the, the newspapers are very, very uh, uh, important today in society. So we're going to talk about that. And also, possibly, I'm not sure, haven't confirmed it as of yet, but we'll know throughout the course of this show, possibly joining us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row, Dr. Benjamin Chavis. And you talk about civil rights uh, leadership. You talk about Wilmington. He was part of the Wilmington 10 and again, I mean, Wilmington just has a, you know, a bad history uh, with his black citizens. Uh, but Dr. Benjamin Chavis, a civil rights leader, and uh, he is the president, CEO of NNPA, National Newspaper Publishers Association, possibly going to join us today here on Box to Row. Your participation here on Box to Row always warranted. Hit me up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. We'll have some other topics of conversation today here on the program, as I mentioned. You know, uh, and if you, you know, you can always listen in about about an hour and 50 minutes on our sister station, Sirius XM, channel 142, uh, where we're going to deep dive um, uh, into HBCU sports. Uh, we're going to have Winston-Salem State head men's basketball coach Cleo Hill Jr. on the program. Winston-Salem State winning the CIAA tournament championship last Saturday. Uh, we're going to talk that Aggie-Eagle rivalry. North Carolina A&T and North Carolina Central played on Thursday in Durham for the uh, MEAC uh, regular season championship, the men's title. So uh, listen on our sister station, Sirius XM Channel 142 HBCU to get your fix on HBCU sports. You know, talked a lot last week about the uh, Tyson Fury and uh, Deontay Wilder fight. Well, it's going to happen. It's going to happen and it's supposed to happen on July 18th. As the three are going to get to the two, excuse me, going to get together for the third fight uh, should be pretty interesting. And uh, again, as I mentioned, I mean, you know, you, you just I mean, Wilder has got a lot of work to do. He's got a lot of work to do. He's already given up 30 pounds in that heavyweight classification. It's I think it's 200 pounds and above. Well, you know, if you got a guy, if you're you know, he came in at 235, meaning Wilder and. Fury was like 270. I mean, you already. You're, I mean, that's a lot of pounds to give up. I realized in the first fight that that uh, Wilder put Fury down two times, but it wasn't enough. Especially that second knockdown looked like the fight could have been over, but it just wasn't enough. Fury able to come back, and uh, you, you got to think if Fury goes down in that fight, it's a whole different scenario. And I realized that Wilder made the excuses about the costume he came in, raid for it, and maybe that, I mean that that. You know, maybe, you know, but at the end of the day, he sh- it sh- that should have never happened and the fight should have never come down to that. But again, uh, the two are going to get together on July the 18th in Las Vegas should be a good showdown. I'm there for that one on pay-per-view as well. You're locked into Box to Row here on HR Voices, Sirius XM Channel 141. I'm your host, Donald Way. You know what a pet peeve of mine is? We're starting to see a lot more of these uh, of the players, you know, after games and these post game press conferences, players and coaches uh, alike cursing like that. 
you know, why is that? Like, you know, it, it to me, it's not cool. It seems like I don't know. It seems like the trendy thing to do now. It seems like the cool thing to do. But it's really not cool. Like, you know, I mean, you know, I I think a lot of times and I mean, I've cursed before. And I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I haven't. But I mean, there are certain environments that you don't necessarily do it. And I think, you know, in postgame press conferences, you know, certainly is one of those environments. And, and a lot of times what you're seeing, I think, more so is not just, you know, you're in the moment, you get caught up. I think it's just sort of like the cool thing to do. And I don't I don't really, you know, to me, and it, it's sort of how un, in, in a in a in an unfortunate way, sort of how our society is progressing, has progressed. You can remember, you know, a long time ago on you know, radio and TV, you didn't hear those kind of things. You didn't hear, you know, bad words per se. And now it's one of those things where it's sort of like cool. And it really isn't cool. I hope like players, coaches understand that, you know, kids are watching this, right? And I mean, you can't turn off Sports Center uh, to, in fact, hear this type of, of, of stuff. I mean, you don't expect to hear it and it's where kids sort of picking up and it's how it sort of progresses and how things progress in our as society because we allow for these things to happen and we um, continue uh, to uh, to perpetuate them uh, by doing them. I'm not trying to get on a soapbox. It's just something uh, that I observed. OK, so uh, matter of fact, getting confirmation that uh, we're going to be joined by Dr. Benjamin Chavis, the executive director of NNPA, civil rights leader extraordinaire. Super excited about that. Dr. Benjamin Chavis going to join us today right here on Box to Row. We'll have more on the other side. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. Here to come here on Box to Row, it's Women's History Month. And in celebration of Women's History Month, we're going to take a listen back to an interview that we had with superstar gymnast Simone Biles back in 2017 as we celebrate Women's History Month here on Box to Row. All right, let's continue here on Box to Row, and we're joined by a gentleman, one of the four most civil rights leaders, as a matter of fact, and currently serves as the president and CEO of NNPA National Newspaper Publishers Association, part of the Wilmington 10. He's a global business leader, uh, as I mentioned, civil rights leader, former head of the MAACP, Dr. Benjamin Chavis, joins us here on Box to Row. Dr. Chavis, welcome to the program. Well, good morning um, to all your listeners there, and uh, I was glad to be speak to you, and looking forward to our dialogue today. Absolutely. Now I got to start here. Isn't it great? You you grew up in North Carolina. Like, isn't it great that the MEAC championship, the Middle Eastern Athletic Conference championship for men's basketball, is going to be decided by the two teams in the state of North Carolina, A and T and North Carolina Central. Two great, two great teams. Uh, I'm so proud of my home state of North Carolina. I was born in Oxford, North Carolina. And I spent time at both A&T and uh, uh, North Carolina Central. Two great teams. 
Yeah, no question. Now you started out at St. Augs, correct? In terms of your, I went to Saint, went to Saint Augs, the chemistry major, Saint Augustine College, right there in Raleigh, North Carolina. Then I went over to Charlotte and finished uh, University of North Carolina, Charlotte. And then I went to Duke for my master's. Absolutely, absolutely. So let me let me ask this because uh, you know for the last couple of weeks we've been talking about, or at least I have, about the you know the state of black newspapers and the relevancy yeah. still of black newspapers. As a matter of fact, I made a reference to something that happened in Wake County back in the 50s. Uh, there was a gentleman that was uh, was almost lynched by the Apex Sheriff. And the only paper that really did something uh, on it that talked about it was the Carolina Times um, at, at that particular time. Can you yes. speak to us about how black newspapers are still relevant now? Well, thank you. I can speak authoritatively about the black press, particularly about black newspapers. I started my career with the Carolina Times when I was in the sixth grade from Austin, North Carolina. Mr. Lewis Alton, the publisher of the Carolina Times in Durham, allowed me to write editorial when I was in the sixth grade. I've been writing for the black press ever since. But today in 2020, we need the black press more than ever before. There are 230 African-American-owned newspapers currently in America. Uh, represented by the NNPA, and I'm so pleased with the North Carolina papers uh, there in Raleigh, the Carolinian, the Carolina Times in Durham, the Wilmington Journal, the Carolina Peacemaker in uh, Greensboro, the Winston-Salem Chronicle, the Charlotte Post, and the County News. We got the Asheville, the Urban Asheville, the Urban News down in Greenville, North Carolina, the Drum. So we are all over the state. The Fayetteville News. We are all over the state and all over the country. And relevancy. We've just seen on Super Tuesday the importance of the black vote. And one of the reasons why the black vote was so uh, mobilized this year is because of the black press encouraging our people to vote. And of course, this is also the census year uh, with the black press is out leading, make sure that we are counted and not undercounted in the 2020 census. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because let's let's talk a little bit because the the thing about it is a lot of it has to do with advertising and sponsorship. And this is, you know, if any year, to your point, you have the census, uh, you have elections. So there's going to be a lot of dollars that are going to be poured uh, into yes. black newspapers. But I mean, that doesn't happen every year. So can you speak to uh, the fact that uh, for these papers to survive, you got to not only have the readership, but you got to have the advertising as well? Uh, absolutely. The advertising is what su- sustains uh, uh, the media, and particularly black-owned uh, newspapers, print. And I'm pleased to report to you that there's a resilience among uh, the black print that we are getting uh, advertisers, national advertisers, local advertisers, and regional advertisers. But it's something we have to work on, and we are innovating. So most of our print products also have digital components. So, uh, for example, in the Carolinian and Raleigh or the Carolina Times and Durham, you can also go online and see those papers. And our news websites are updated daily, not weekly. We print weekly, but digitally we update every day. And we have just constructed the largest black-owned digital network made up of our content of our newspapers around the country so we can stay active. And that also attracts additional advertising dollars. But you're right. Without the print ads, we could not stay in business at this point. And I'm uh, encouraging, uh, 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 you know, African-Americans, we spend uh, over a trillion dollars in the American economy. So we're consumers. Our consumer dollars uh, should attract the kind of investment 
in the black press from those large corporations that enjoy the consumership of uh, black uh, spenders, of the spending power of black America. And one of the things we're working with the Congressional Black Caucus right now is to make sure that the federal government also advertises. Uh, you, right now, the CDC is getting ready to start advertising about the coronavirus. Well, they need to do that in our black newspapers as well as uh, the mainstream papers. Yeah. And where, where are we? You know, you mentioned the CDC. Where are we with the census? To your point, I mean, the census, I mean, it's upon us. I'm glad to um, report to you that it was a very competitive process, but the NNPA, we did win a bid. We're currently implementing right now a $3 million ad buy with the U.S. Census, uh, making sure that all of our newspapers get those census ads, but more importantly, that as a result of those census ads, consistently between now and the end of May, every week there will be ads in our black-owned newspapers uh, encouraging people to be counted in the 2020 census. It only happens once every 10 years, and depending on the census, that determines the allocation of resources federal resources, state resources, and county resources. So the census is crucially important uh, that we don't allow ourselves to be undercounted. And then back to the voting, we have to overcome voter suppression. I was so proud that the statistics showed that North Carolina had a very high African-American voter turnout in the primary uh, last week. Uh, That's good news, and we need to continue to build on that now as we head toward November. Dr. Benjamin Chavis, president and CEO of NNPA, also one of the foremost civil rights leaders, joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Dr. Chavis, can you sort of because you, when you look at the the newspaper industry as a whole, you know, the yeah. paper is going away. I mean, even here in Raleigh, uh, and I was telling my listeners this, I've subscribed to the paper. The News and Observer is going away uh, on Saturday. No more printed edition of the News and Observer uh, on Saturdays. Uh, how has the, the um, how has that affected black newspapers in terms right, of where very, we are? Very yeah. good question. Very good question. As mainstream papers uh, downsize, and as you say, sometimes don't print weekend editions, uh, actually that is uh, uh, beneficial to the black press because there are people in our community, intergenerationally, not only millennials, but uh, non-millennials who still want to get that print copy. And so it has enhanced the value of the black print press. And I've also said another uh, uh, important variable when you discuss the, uh, the uh, newspapers, as those we're in the era also of fake news. People, a lot of what's on social media is not real. It's, it's, just, it's just fake. But people trust the black print press. Uh, uh, we just passed, after 120 years in the Constitution, the anti-lynching legislation. Well, if it hadn't been for the black press, nobody would even know that lynching was going on in America and still a problem. Uh, so I think that the value of the black press uh, has not uh, decreased, but with the uh, pullback and downsizing of mainstream media, uh, it, it has not caused a downturn in black print. In fact, there's a slight upturn. I've got about 20 of my markets now reporting, and I'm pleased to announce on your radio program that the circulation now of black print press is on the incline, not the decline. And so that's an interesting thing that's going on in America. And the demographics have changed. I think the browning of America also, the increased black and brown populations, people of color now, uh, want products that speak directly to their uh, issues. You mentioned the sports. Who else covers 
uh, what a uh, A&T or NC Central or Shaw or Santa Augustine College do other than the black press. Yeah, no, it's, I, I think it's, a, it's an excellent point. Dr. Benjamin Chavis joins us here on the program, president and CEO of NNPA, which, is, of course, is National Left Newspaper Turn. Publishers Association, one of the foremost uh, civil rights leaders. Uh, what was the state of the NNPA when you took over in 2014? Well, thank you. They were facing some difficulties, um, financial difficulties, and I'm pleased to report this is my uh, sixth going on seventh year, and we've turned the organization around. We're financially viable. Uh, when I went there, we had about, uh, well, 195 papers. Today we have a 230 papers. And there's been some expansion even in my home state of North Carolina of, of people joining. Ebony.com now is a member of the NNPA. We also uh, now have online and digital publications, including Ebony. Uh, Essence is joining the uh, NNPA. So I think that uh, Black Enterprise and others. So I think that overall the state of the black press in 2020 is stronger uh, than we've been in the last 10 years. And the prospects look bright even beyond after this election year. But we've got some homework. I don't want people to relax. I want us to stay vigilant. I want us to stay, uh, um, you know, uh, awake, as the young people say, stay woke uh, on these questions and not go to sleep. I think there's so much opportunity now for our people than ever before. Yeah, we, we talk about coming together, and I, I think, to your point, this is where we are coming together in, in the press. I know there are some um, uh, some newspapers, publications, et cetera, that are not currently members uh, of NNPA, but I know you're trying to change that. Uh, absolutely. The uh, black press in America is making serious uh, advances. Uh, we just did a one-on-one interview with Vice President Biden that was live streamed. We're also using technology, I'm pleased to report to you. I think technology can enhance not only the reach, but the impact of the black press. And I think that um, we, we're going to continue to innovate. Uh, also, I, I would like to report to you that we are reaching global uh, black press. We now have an interface with the Nigerian press, with the South African press, with the Jamaican press, the Brazilian press. So when you talk about the black press, we're talking about the global black press beyond just the black press in the United States of America. Yeah. Dr. Chavis, if you could hold the line for me one second, we're talking with Dr. Benjamin Chavis today here on From the Press Box to Press Row, uh, of course, the leader of the NNPA, part of the Wilmington 10 uh, civil rights uh, legendary leader. And uh, we've got more with Dr. Benjamin Chavis on the other side. After this small pause for the cause, this is Box to Row. Couple more thoughts, Dr. Chavis. We appreciate the time. Um, I mean, it's no question that once uh, you were, you know, you took over the leadership of NNPA, that it was going to be successful. You've been so successful. Where, where are we with the? I know you and uh, and Russell Simmons founded the Hip Hop Summit Action Network in 2001. Where where, where are we with that right now? Well, that's a very good question, and I'm glad to report to you that uh, the cultural significance of the black press is also uh, increasing. Uh, Hip-hop, which started in the South Bronx 40 years ago, is now global. It's just not in the United States. So uh, Russell is in Indonesia now. We have a global uh, hip-hop summit where we promote uh, hip-hop artists throughout the world. Rihanna uh, 
just got the NAACP's highest award uh, to show the impact of hip-hop, not only in music, but also in entrepreneurship. Yeah. And then lastly, I mean, I'd be remiss. I mean, I, we could talk, I could talk with you all day about a number of different things, but I'd be remiss if I didn't talk to you about the Wilmington 10. I think there's still some residuals uh, from that happening um, still currently in terms of some uh, maybe even some uh, some payments, if you will, to some of those that have passed on since then. Can you kind of update us uh, a little bit on that? And, of course, um, you know, you were the leader of that Wilmington 10 going back to 1971, that atrocity uh, that happened. And, you know, Wilmington really, uh, and I'm just saying, over the years has not had a very good relationship with its black citizens. That's correct. Wilmington was one of the last holdouts of the Confederacy. Now, most of you don't know that the treasury of the Confederacy was in Wilmington. They actually printed the money, the Confederate money, uh, in Wilmington, North Carolina. The railway, the Atlantic Coast Railway, which was based in Wilmington, was the Confederacy Railway. That's how they moved their troops all over the country. So Wilmington has had a long history of um, uh, the suppression, oppression of, of black people. Uh, but the Wilmington 10 that happened in 1971, and I'm glad you mentioned it, that of the 10 members of the Wilmington 10, four have passed on, six are alive. I stay in touch with them. It took 40 years. From, we were convicted unjustly and sentenced to 282 years in 1972. And it was not to 2012 when the Honorable Beverly Purdue issued a pardon of innocence to the Wilmington 10, uh, admitting on the record that the state should never have arrested us, it should never have imprisoned us, spent all that time, most of the 1970s, some were uh, compensated, but not all. Uh, and so there's still, you know, a lingering, um, uh, not fulfilled uh, the total justice with the 10 case. We're pleased to get the pardon of innocence, but there's still remnants of injustice because even the ones who had passed on, the state refused uh, to compensate them in any way because they had passed on, even though their families had an estate. And their legacy is still alive. I'm writing a book now about the Wilmington Town, which I'll come and talk more about on your program. That'd be great. Lastly, it is Wilmington 10 is part of your legacy, no question. Any, uh, and sometimes we just have to go through things. But you, you serve some time in jail. Like, is there any yes. ill will behind that with you? No, no. One of the things I, you know, I worked for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. when I was a teenager. One of the things Dr. King taught us is. Southern Christian Leadership Conference in the early days of the civil rights movement is that bitterness only distorts the beholder. So even though, yes, we were wrong, we were treated badly, uh, almost lost my life a couple of times in the North Carolina prison system because of threats uh, from white supremacists while I was incarcerated, but we survived it. I got my master's degree, Manuel Kumar, from Duke University while I was in prison in North Carolina. So I, I refused to serve time. I made time serve the movement. I made time serve the interests of uh, black Americans uh, and African people throughout the world. Mandela and I became very close friends while I was in prison in the 70s. He was in prison in in, uh, in South Africa. And we, uh, I was welcoming him to speak to the NWCP convention in 1993, uh, two former political presidents. So, yeah, you, know, yeah, you know, I think that no matter what trials and tribulations, this is the message, no matter what trials and tribulations we go through in life, we should make sure that whatever we go through, it strengthens us and not weakens us. 
I think um, uh, that's why African Americans have such a resilience. We've been through a lot as a people. Unprecedented uh, inhumanity uh, directed toward uh, African Americans and other people of color. But the record shows, our history shows, our legacy shows that we are resilient. Resilience is in our DNA. We should always not only try to overcome, but to stand up and make sure that the next generation has a better quality of life. Former head of the NAACP, former, uh, foremost civil rights leader, president and CEO of NNPA. He is Dr. Benjamin Chavis. He joins us here on Box to Row. Dr. Chavis, great to catch up with you. Yeah, we got to have you on real soon to kind of get some updates on your book and where the NNPA Absolutely. lies. Looking forward to uh, having that discussion with you and breaking good news with you. Sounds good. Thank you very much, sir. I really appreciate it. Thank you. God okay. bless. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. So there you have it. What a treat to be able to talk with Dr. Benjamin Chavis today here on Box to Row. React to anything that he had to say. Hit us up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. And, of course, you can hit me on my personal Twitter account, at DWare1, or uh, my personal Instagram account where Donald and a lot of interesting things he had to say. Uh, what do you say? Ebony dot uh, com is uh, coming uh, on or coming under NNPA. Uh, also, he mentioned the international aspect uh, with uh, some of the uh, the newspapers overseas, more specifically uh, from the continent of Africa. He mentioned that as well. So uh, NNPA uh, taking on and, and, and where we are in terms of a lot of entities coming on from more of a global uh, perspective. But as he mentioned, I mean, you know, as as important today as it was in yesteryear is the black press, is the black newspaper. And it's good to hear um, that some dollars are going to be coming. That's the thing. You know, that's the thing to sustainability, uh, particularly in this climate of newspapers. And I'm talking more specifically about newspapers. Yes, you have the dot com. Um, you know, I'm you know, I'm old school. Like, I again, like I still subscribe to the newspaper. I'm I'm excited to um, subscribe or subscribe to uh, one of the black uh, newspapers in my area excited to to do that again actually and that's going to be coming it's a weekly newspaper it's going to be coming to me each and every week so i'm excited about that to be able to read the newspaper yeah i mean don't get me wrong i like to go online and read certain articles obviously when you google that uh, is going to happen um, but it's nothing like sitting down to me and i get it millennials and Younger people are going to be different. Most of what they've had, the majority of their life is going to be online anyway. I get all of that. You can, for me, I'm I like to substitute what I read in the newspaper with what's online. So if there's some updates, a lot of times, a lot of the papers are weekly, but they're going to update things on a daily basis through uh, respective websites. Then I'm all for. That I don't know, I, I, you know, I'm on the NNPA's website. I don't know um, in this segment if I'm going to have time to list all of the newspapers, but I want to list the newspapers. I want to tell you um, about some of the newspapers in the respective states. There, there's a big list here. He mentioned 220. Um, there's a big, big list here 
So uh, I'm going to try and go through this list. Uh, so for those that are listening um, in respective states, I encourage you to subscribe to your uh, local black newspaper. And it doesn't just have to be local. I mean, every you know you can you can subscribe, but generally you know the cost is going to be low. And again, for that newspaper, that money that you pay, um, it, it's it's something, and it's going to go towards something. But more importantly, if you subscribe, you now become a subscriber and that is something that that newspaper can go to and say to an advertiser, hey, we have, you know, X amount of subscribers so that I mean, it's not it's not about, you know, in this climate, it's not about um, how much money uh, you're getting as a black entity or, or a black medium. It's about getting money. I mean, to be honest with you. So, you know, it certainly helps. So in Alabama, we have you have a you know a couple of newspapers, the Birmingham Times, Green County Democrat, Mobile Beacon Citizen and Speaking Out News in Arizona. You have the Arizona Informant, which is out of Phoenix, California. Boy, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, I'll read some of them in the Los Angeles Sentinel is you know, one of the older papers, um, certainly that we have the Oakland Post Alameda. Certainly, you have the Sacramento Observer, which has been around a long, long time. I can remember uh, going out to uh, to NBA All-Star Weekend, as a matter of fact, back in 2007 and uh, meeting with uh, uh, with one of the gentlemen that was with the Sa- uh, the Sacramento Observer. And for as many people or uh, paper and by the way, the uh, one of the other big papers um uh the wave community newspapers a couple of newspapers um out of california colorado the denver weekly news in connecticut the inner city newspaper boy the inner city newspaper has been around a long time to the point that when i was in school i wrote some articles for the inner city newspaper out of connecticut going back to 1999 glad to see that that newspaper still around i think it's out of new haven um if i'm not mistaken in washington dc the afro-american um out of out of washington you also have the washington informer uh the afro's been around a very long time i mentioned the afro a couple of weeks ago it was one of the you know at, at one time one of the foremost newspapers in all of the nation uh, along with the chicago defender i mean afros were delivered uh all over um the east coast quite frankly out of florida you have papers like the Capital Outlook, um, the Daytona Times, uh, you have the Florida Courier, uh, Florida Sentinel Bulletin, I mean, Jacksonville Free Press, the Miami Times, um, the list goes on and on. One paper that's not under the auspices of the NNPA, the Orlando Times, um, is also out of Florida, Georgia. Wow, Atlanta Daily World's been around a long time. Atlanta Inquirer, the Atlanta Voice. Um, you know, even outside of Atlanta, you have two papers in Savannah, the Herald and the Tribune, uh, all out of Georgia. That's just a couple of, uh, of papers. Illinois, I was talking about the Chicago Defender, so it's online. So the Chicago Defender um, and, and even there's some papers maybe that don't have a physical paper that you can still subscribe to some of the services. I mean, again, for that's for younger people, if you will. Uh, maybe, you know, for me, I'm a guy that likes to pick up a newspaper. I like to have a newspaper in my hand, but you can certainly um, subscribe to various services 
online um, as well. Even the final call uh, is out of Chicago, Indiana. You have the Gary Crusader uh, Indianapolis recorders been around a very long time. Um, as a matter of fact, in Kentucky, you have the Louisville Defender in Louisiana. A couple of newspapers, Alexandria News Weekly, Data News Weekly, Louisiana Weekly, New Orleans Tribune, and Shreveport Sun. Uh, out of Maryland, you got the Afro-American from Baltimore. The Baltimore Times has been around. Uh, uh, I think I remember maybe the mid-90s is when the Baltimore uh, Times uh, came into existence. I was a student at Morgan State at that time. Out of Michigan, the Michigan Chronicle, boy, has been around a long time. Minnesota, uh, Insight News, the Minneapolis Spokesman Reporter. Out of Mississippi, you have a paper like the Jackson Advocate. In Missouri, how about... Uh, you know, the St. Louis Americans been around a long time, even out of Nebraska, the Omaha Star. So those just a few of the newspapers can't get to them all. I'm up against the break. Log on to NNPA.org, NNPA.org for a list of newspapers in your area. Up next, a listen back with Simone Biles. It's Donald Ware. From the press box to press row. Celebrating Women's History Month here on Box to Row. Today's Listen Back is going to feature superstar gymnast. One of, if not the greatest gymnast of all time. Certainly the most decorated gymnast of all time. Preparing for the 2020 Olympics. Simone Biles has joined us a couple of times here on Box to Row. Last joining us back in June. 2017. Glad to have you. And I want to start here because it, it hasn't even been a year since last year's Olympics. And, and, you know, I just want to kind of know what has this last uh, 10, 11 months been like for you? Um, I feel like it's been a little bit of controlled chaos. Um, <laughs> I've been all over the place, so... I mean, I haven't got to spend a lot of time at home. It's really just packed, dropping bags, repacked dough. Um, but I've been staying busy, so I guess that's good. But I've had the chances to do a lot of amazing opportunities. I got to go and dance with the stars. I've gotten to go to, like, basketball, football games. And I've gotten to do cool commercials, too. So I think, I think that's the beauty of it. I guess that's what happens after. Or I think so, all of that. Yeah, no question about it. And when we had you on... Uh, three years ago, you were 17, you're 20 now, so you're speaking kind of with that confidence and that vigor. But what's the most fun thing you've done within this last 10 or 11 months? Oh, goodness. Um, Work-related, I guess, like that I had to sign up to probably Dancing with the Stars. That definitely got me out of my comfort zone. My partner was absolutely amazing. Um, everyone on the show was so sweet, but then, like, Family-wise, uh, we just went on vacation, and that was nice to finally settle down, be with the whole entire family in one spot for a good amount of time. Uh, so I can't complain too much about that. So when you're on vacation, like, how does that work? I mean, you, obviously, you're world-renowned. Everybody knows you. Do, I mean, is there a lot of, you know, a lot of privacy? Do you have a lot of people coming up to you while you're on vacation? Um, I do here and there, but... Um, this time, we would, well, we usually always go to Belize. We try to do that. That's like our family spot. My mom's from there. But this time, we kind of went to a place where there weren't 
a lot of tours um, just to try out a new section that we usually don't go to. haven't been there since I was maybe seven years old, this particular spot. So that was pretty fun. Um, so I'm, I think everyone's pretty respectful. They still want pictures, but for this one, I was like, I'm sorry, I just haven't got to spend quality time with my um, family. I'm sorry, not this trip. But usually I do do it, even on vacation, because I know how it is. Like People are just so excited. The one and only Simone Biles joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. And, of course, you mentioned Dancing with the Stars, and you continued with that, continued with that, and you finished, finally finished in fourth place. What was the Dancing with the Stars experience like for you? I feel like I've learned a lot about myself doing the show, and I mean, there is nothing more you can almost do rather than, like, get out of your comfort zone in front of America. I think that's a really big thing. For anyone to do and everyone thinks it's just about dancing but then you have to share your personality and there's so many other things that people aren't used to hearing about um you get to hear everyone's different stories and then like i don't think anybody knew how much we trained but it was like training for the olympics i trained like six hours a day so talking about being out of your comfort zone so you were a little nervous coming into dancing with the stars no um, yes, because I feel like most of my gymnastics career, I feel like I was a little bit of an outcast. Like, they saw me smiling a lot more than other competitors, so that already was like, oh, my God, this, like, God is here. But on Dancing with the Stars, it was like he would tell me to do something, and I'm not being stubborn or anything, but I've been trained to, like, not do certain things, like, smile, do this, do that. So it's like it was pretty hard for me to even show some of those emotions and then pull out emotions that I don't even know that I have and I don't know how to portray but I have to do it in front of America so I'm comfortable because I've never had to feel like the intimacy the uh, sensualness like it, it was very different you know you mentioned smiling and I thought your response to, uh, to smiling uh, during Dancing with the Stars when you respond with smiling doesn't win you gold medals uh, was great. Re- reflecting on that, your thoughts on that comments uh, some now two months later? Um, I feel like he was just a part of the moment, but like, then again, the judges don't get to really see you in practice or anything, so it's hard whenever you only do like a two-minute dance and then they to judge you off personality and say, oh, I don't think you show personality. It's like, but if you've been in those practices, like my partner has seen me show those emotions, like, it's just kind of hard. So I was kind of out, but it's okay. Yeah, the one and only Simone Biles joins us here on the program. You can follow her on Twitter at Simone underscore Biles. And again, speaking about being out of your comfort zone and I mean, you've done so much in the last 10, 11 months. I mean, if we were to name everything that you've done, we'd be here all night. But the ESPN swimsuit edition, what what was that experience like for you? Boom. That was actually really fun, like, to be honest. Me and Allie had a lot of fun. We really wanted to do it once we heard of the possibility of maybe doing it. We were like, oh, of course, like, we're in the best shape of our lives. We're feeling confident about our body, and we hope that other young girls and women might feel that being strong is so beautiful. So that's what we kind of try to do. Um, Ali's pictures were a little bit more tasteful than mine, but I feel like mine was just like beauty. Um, 
but also showing muscles. Like, I feel like when little girls look at that, they'll think it's okay to have muscles and be beautiful and, like, sexy at the same time in a good manner. And I think that's what we got across, hopefully, because we've gotten a lot of good feedback from it. But MJ was absolutely amazing, and it was great. Sure. Now, when we had you on three years ago, you talked about Dominique Dawes and how you looked up uh, to her and the admiration that you had for her. And, of course, she uh, had done it some 20 years ago. But more recently, Gabby Douglas had done it going back to winning the gold medal back in 2012. And, of course, there are not a lot of black gymnasts. What, what is Kind of talk about and share with us the relationship that uh, you have with Gabby Douglas. Um, going into the Olympics, I feel like she gave all of us some really good pointers of what it's going to be like after. You're really going to be, going to be crazy, like, you're going to start going crazy for a bit of time, um, and it's going to be hard, but she did give me some advice. Now, I think she's busy, so she doesn't talk to us quite as much, um, but we all get that. We're just all so busy running around all over the place. We just sometimes don't have time for it, but... I think I'll see her at the NCs, so that'll be good. Yeah, I know you're looking forward to that. Now, you have an opportunity to maybe win multiple ESPYs. And, and of course, you were named the AP uh, Female Athlete of the Year on last year. But I know you got to really be looking forward to the ESPYs. Yeah, I think that's exciting for all of us. We're all rooting for one another. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's crazy and, like, if we have to go, if I have to go up there twice, um, I think for the first time for team, we'll probably force Allie to talk. And then obviously the second time I do, and public speaking scares me a little bit, so it'll be good. So then get out of my comfort zone again, hopefully if I win. If not, whoever wins, I mean, we have an amazing category. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, but you've gotten more comfortable. I mean, but it still scares you. Like we had you on, you know, three years ago, and you're, you're speaking with, you know, much more. Uh, conviction now you've you know been doing this now for some time but but public speaking still scares you yeah i just um, we're so used to like being told what to say when to say when to do this interview and like most of the things are things we know but for those ones it's like i don't know it's just scary because it's right on the spot and you don't know about it so i think that's what scares me last two thoughts for simone biles and we appreciate the time, Simone. So I know you've been doing a lot of different things and uh, some training. 2020 is upcoming. How forward are you looking, or uh, how much are you looking forward to 2020? Oh, I think Tokyo is beautiful. I've never been, hopefully, in three years. I get the opportunity to go to the Olympics and represent the country again, but that is the ultimate goal. You heard it from Simone Biles in our Listen back as we celebrate Women's History Month here on Box to Row. And uh, three years later, she's preparing for the Olympics uh, in Tokyo. And uh, I mean, these world championships that they have, like she's just dominating the sport like no other uh, uh, gymnast, male or female, that we've ever seen. And she's not done. I mean, we get, you know, and we'll see what happens in this Olympics. Obviously, you still have to compete. I mean, I don't think there's, you know, any reason to believe that, you know, she won't dominate it again. But I mean, you know, then, you know, looking forward, if, you know, God willing, we're still here. Uh, she's still around, uh, you know, 2024 um, to look to. I, you know, I don't really know the age of 
uh, of a gymnast and when you stop. But I mean, my goodness, I mean, to, you know, what she's been able to do um, in world championships. I mean, again, we first had Simone Biles on the program. It was 2014. It was after her dominating performance in China at the world championships. And that was in August of 2014, if I'm not mistaken, dominated in 2016, obviously in the Olympics. And then ultimately um, in the world championships, she continues to dominate. So uh, hats off to Simone Biles, who is doing very, very big things. Before we get out of here on from the press box to press for again, I was giving you a list of um, some of the black newspapers um, around the country. Subscribe to your local uh, newspaper subscribe to your local black newspaper okay because it's super important you know it's a black business and you know we want to keep those businesses around and for those businesses to continue to be uh, sustainable they need uh, the businesses need money um, in this case uh, subscribers and so you know just uh, just go out and support your local black Newspaper. I mean, I was running down the list. I mean, like as uh, you know, uh, Dr. Chavis mentioned all the papers in North Carolina. I mean, you got the Call and Post in Cleveland, which has been around. I mean, that's you know, just naming a couple of papers. Been around for a long time. Um, the Philadelphia Tribune. You know, our guy Donald Hunt over there. He's the sports editor of the Tribune. The, the Charleston Chronicle is amazing out of Charleston. So many uh, great black newspapers. Uh, around the country. I mean, Texas has way too many to even uh, mention. But again, log on to NNPA.org, NNPA.org for more information. Again, don't forget, uh, in about an hour, switch to Sirius XM Channel 142, breaking down the A&T and North Carolina Central basketball game and Winston-Salem State head men's basketball coach Cleo Hill Jr. going to join us on the program. And always remember to support those that support you. Box to Row is presented by DW Communications.